1077 The Franchise is your flagship for Oklahoma sports. So we decided to launch a podcast with the very best names in Oklahoma sports media to cover it. When they said no, we called in some interns. Thank goodness John changed his mind before we did something stupid. This is Inside OU with John Hoover on the Franchise Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition, a championship edition of the Inside OU Podcast. Brady Trantham here with Mr. John Hoover via the Skype machine. Uh, John, OU won the Big 12 Championship once again. Is that, I mean, it's not really breaking news at this point anymore. <laughs> It is, is, uh, it is not not breaking news when the Sooners win the Big 12 championship, is it? Nobody cares. Nobody respects that. I'm uh, I'm joking, of course. OU fans certainly do. Listen, I was down there on the field uh, for the for the post game party, the handshake, the the flag plant, the uh, the uh, the signs. By the, the way, the placards, shout out to you for getting fans. That, shout out to you for getting that clip of Lincoln Riley and Matt Rule embracing at uh, midfield. That was awesome. Those are oh, that was the prototypical blind squirrel finding a nut, is what that was. <laughs> <laughs> but I would highly recommend watching that. It's on my YouTube channel, John Hoover, and it's on my Twitter feed as well at John E Hoover. Check that out. Yeah. It's big time. It's awesome. I know they're still like rumors concerning Lincoln Riley and his future. Maybe like maybe the NFL. I mean, they're. I don't really give them much credence, of course, but the same thing can be said for Matt Rule, and they're, these are both deservingly so in terms of like the rumors being out there. Both coaches, um, I can understand why other teams, other leagues would be envious of them because they've certainly deserved yeah. that. Uh, but well, they'll be in the they'll both be in the NFC East next year, right? Is that what we're exactly pretty much consensus? <laughs> Dallas and uh, the New York Giants, maybe the, maybe the New York Jets. Matt Rule is going to be the Dallas Cowboys head coach. Lincoln Riley is going to be his offensive coordinator. Ah, uh, no, that wouldn't work. I think Lincoln Riley is down with that. <laughs> no, I would hope not. But if I could uh, wish for something, it would be cool to see those um, to see those two guys in the Big Twelve, OU and Baylor, score off the next five to ten years. That would be great. Yeah, and it might be might be very likely. Actually, um, you've seen TCU, you've seen Texas, and now you've seen Baylor become the opponent in the Big Twelve championship game. Of those three, which is the most likely to return? Oh yeah, Baylor. I mean, yeah, I mean, they're losing. Better. They're losing a lot this year. I mean, because mm-hmm. like we said going into the first game against Waco, that Lincoln pointed out in the press conference to you, John, was senior, 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 junior, senior, yeah. senior, and they're seven lo- starters on de- on defense are seniors. Yeah, they're losing all that, but I feel like Matt Rule has put together a program and a system that is going to be fairly easy to reload, uh, considering that it's Baylor. You know, they may they may not be in the Big Twelve Championship next year, but the year after that, and who knows, Zeno, if he's if he's the truth, or if Charlie Brewer improves, who knows? We we've seen how far quarterbacks can drag one sided teams, John. I'm sure we have plenty of we have plenty of experience with that. All true, all true. Uh, and and Matt Rule is is you know last last year we were saying Matt Campbell's a hell of a coach, and he is. Uh, but I think this year Matt Rule has been has become the name in the Big 12 that everybody's saying, holy crap, that guy's a good coach. He's hard. You just can't not like him. Yeah. You couldn't like Yeah, I, I just posted um, some audio from his postgame press conference uh, on the uh, Locked On Sooners podcast. You're going to need to check that out because he had a lot of very, very complimentary and interesting things to say about the Sooners and about the process of, uh, you know, not being entitled and just, I mean, he's just a guy that gets it. Yeah. And I'm not just saying all these things because OU won, so it's easy for me to be quote-unquote classy, but if OU had lost, 
which very well could have happened, and we'll get to the Big 12 championship in a little bit. But if they had lost, yes, my ass would have been salty as hell. I would have been angry. I'd been mad and upset. Like, we just squandered another opportunity, goodbye playoff and all that stuff. But as soon as Matt Rule got to the podium and started talking, he probably would have been just as complimentary and just as classy um, had had he had won just like he had lost. And I would have probably just snapped back into, Matt Rule's awesome. If we're going to lose to somebody for the first time in the Big 12 championship, why not him? It's not Art Bryles, Baylor. This is different. Yeah, that's right. And I think everybody respects the way he goes about his business, and that's the main thing. I Listen, I, I, I saw Art Bryles uh, treat people certain ways over the years. A couple of guys who I know and like uh, are genuinely good people, and he treated them like dirt. Well, he's a, he's a um, piece of shit, John, so it should yeah, really come no, as no I mean, surprise. And, and but but if you if you listen if you go back spin yourself back five years whatever it is eight years six years whatever in that span that he was there, and and listen to the national narrative, oh he's just such a down home good old boy. No, he's a he's a turd. He's a jerk, and he treats people like crap. He he thinks he's better than everybody, and he deserves everything that fell on his head when he left Baylor. Uh, Matt Rule, not like that. You talk to people who know Matt Rule, and they're like, no, he's he's a seriously good dude. Yeah, I don't want to keep talking about Matt Rule, but he's hard. it's hard not to. He's a good coach, and Baylor is on the up and up in terms of being a consistently good program in the Big 12. So Welcome it's, it's, to the Baylor Bear podcast. Exactly. This is the Matt Rule hour. <laughs> but I, I would just say the fear if you're a Baylor Bear fan or if you're just a fan of the Big 12 being a good conference, and if Baylor is good, that helps out because Texas is still trying to find out what it means to be back, but that, that will take some time. But I would think just the fear is if James Franklin leaves Penn State for whatever reason, like if – Let's say if Clay Hilton had actually been fired from USC and USC went after James Franklin and he kind of looked at the situation and said, well, I'm not going to out-recruit or beat Ohio State. I'm not going to out-recruit even Michigan. Um, I can beat Michigan because Michigan sucks and Harbaugh is incredibly overrated, but you're not going to out-recruit them consistently at Penn State. If he left, Penn State comes calling. That's, you know, um, Bear Bryant had that great line when he was at A&M. Alabama called him for the job and he said, Mama called. I mean, if that would be Matt Rule's mama if Penn State came and called, right? Yeah. Well, um, one one thing, one way to put this is uh, if you're if you're wondering about Matt Rule's quality as a coach, um, and I think he's I think he's right there on that level with Lincoln Riley. Just about uh, look no further than his three quarterbacks that he ran out there in the Big Twelve Championship game. He throws a backup out there and says, "Go get him, big fella." Guy's got a bum knee. He's a run-around quarterback, so he can't really run around. So what does he do? He throws lob passes, and uh, Baylor takes a 13-10 lead at halftime. Uh, then, he, no. then he pulls him and throw, puts his backup in there, true freshman, who has played in one game all year, 61-6 against Kansas the week before, was his first game of the season. He says, big fella, Jacob Zeno, go get him. And he throws two deep balls. They're both complete, 150 yards passing. And you're thinking to yourself, is those guys who have no business coming out here and doing this to the Oklahoma defense, why are they doing this? And it's, I take it back to Matt rule and the way he prepares his players, the way he believes in his players and his quarterbacks. And it doesn't matter what their skill set is. It doesn't matter what level of, of uh, their understanding is in the playbook. He has Im- implemented in them and just kind of drilled into their, their soul, so to speak. Hey, you got this. You can do this. You're going to be good at this. It doesn't matter what the situation is. That was that had to be maddening for the Oklahoma defense to say, okay, this time we've got a third string quarterback backed up to the five yard line. We got him for sure this time. And he throws an uh, 81 yard pass that uh, 
is is chased down and saved. And by the way, Trey Brown with the don't even come at me with this because you'll be wrong. Play of the year for the Oklahoma Sooners. The play of the year. Oh man. Oh. Here's the thing. You're not wrong. If he doesn't make that tackle and Baylor scores, it's it's then up to Jalen Hurts and the offense to march down the field and score to win the game. And the likelihood of that happening in that situation, watching that game, I, I wouldn't have been 100% confident that that would have been the case. Oh, you could have very mm-hmm. well had done so, because um, there is something to be said about, all right, it's winning time. Let's just do the mm-hmm. opposite of what we've been doing. Let's not be stagnant on offense. Who knows what could have happened. But, yes, Trey Brown technically did have the uh, – Season season saving play, I guess you could say, but we'll get into that. But it's a good segue into the actual game. This has been your Matt Rule hour, everybody. So uh, sorry we talked <laughs> about Baylor for so much, but hey, I, I like the coach and I look forward to seeing Lincoln Riley and Matt Rule square up against each other in recruiting and on the field for the next few years, hopefully. But yeah, OU wins the Big Twelve Championship, John, in a game that I'm going to describe as completely and utterly frustrating because OU dominated that game, John. They dominated it. But again, it comes down to just silly turnovers, unforced errors. Now, that I feel like people are giving Jalen the, uh, giving him a pass on the fumble. That play, though, per- it perfectly enca- encapsulates his problem in the pocket. He has no pocket awareness half the time. He he never steps up. In the, he hardly ever steps up in the pocket. He would rather move laterally when he's not. Kyler Murray, he's not fast enough to do so when you've got when you're playing up against a good defensive line that can get pressure. And he was in the wrong place at the wrong time, which allowed him to be or which allowed the defensive lineman to get around and force the fumble. Had he had just stepped up in the pocket, at worst it's going to be an incompletion. Um so I'm not going to give him a pass on that. But John, we we went into this game saying if Jalen Hurts simply doesn't hand Baylor the football, oh you should win by two touchdowns. And OU mm-hmm. had to, OU had to win in overtime uh, by seven points. OU should have won that game by fourteen points. I don't disagree with that. Um, they should have won. They should have won comfortably. OU was a, I think, a nine point favorite when it finally went off. Um, I picked Baylor as my lock of the week to cover the nine uh, for the fifth week in a row. I picked the or fourth week in a row. I picked the OU opponent, and they took care of me. Basically, I think Oklahoma State let me down. But listen. That fumble, uh, I agree. He needs better pocket awareness. He needs a better uh, internal clock in his head. And as as you know, the the clock is ticking. He needs to have two hands on the football. Yes. Um. It, it, but he he had started. It, am I wrong? Did he not start his throw, his motion to throw the football? He cocked his arm back, and the ball yeah, got smacked out of it. If the end had got there a split second later, that's an incomplete pass because he, right. he, he's already in the middle of throwing the football forward. But it, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, that's a, that's a tough one to lay on him because man, James Lynch is a beast, and um, the uh, the tackle on the right side there was it. It wasn't Swenson. It was uh, still Adrian Ely at that time. Yeah, he left it. Was at he half just time. whiffed? He's just whiffed, and he's trying to do the best he can. I guess he's got a bum wheel, but the interception just unforgivable. You're way down in your yeah. your territory, and you you leave the pocket and you throw on the run again, um, and it just it just really underscores Jalen's lack of, um. Hmm, maybe that's not the right way to say it. It underscores his his own self-confidence that he can throw a ball like that and think it's going to be completed. 
when he left the pocket and cocked his arm and, and I was thinking he's going to throw it away because the guy's not open and he tried to fit it in there and the receiver, the, uh, DB just undercut it. I'm thinking that's probably literally he he's outdone himself. That's his worst throw of the season. Uh, that first that game in Waco where he threw it directly to a defensive back across the field towards the boundary. Ooh, the I- was, Iowa State one that was probably worse too, ooh, wasn't yeah, it? Yes. <laughs> in terms in terms of just doing everything that you're not supposed to as a quarterback, you know, going backwards, sidestepping, throwing yeah. off your back foot across the field. It's either that Into or to a crowd. Yeah, that's yeah. I mean, pick your poison, but. Um, I was actually watching the Thunder game on Sunday, John, with Lee Benson from News 9, who does the West of Everest podcast with his brother Grant. It's a great podcast. If you're not yep. familiar with it, Sooner fans, highly recommend it. They do an outstanding job. Go listen to them. Uh, but Lee, you know, we were talking about the Big 12 Championship. And we were talking about Jalen, and he pretty much called it because I told him what we talked about on this podcast going into the game. If Jalen doesn't turn the football over, OU wins by they're probably two scores better than Baylor. And then Lee's kind of look at me and says, you know, maybe that's just what we have to go into a game now thinking, you know, Jalen's going to turn the football over and it's going to be up Mm -hmm. to the defense to make stops, which they have done up to this point more times than not. And then it's going to be up to the offense to score in a timely fashion. You know, they're not going to score every single clip like a Baker or Kyler Murray offense will, but you just hope that they have enough in the tank to, to the point where the defense doesn't have to Oh, we've got to get a game clinching interception here, or we've got to we've got to score on defense or something, or score on special teams. As the offense isn't going to do it, but again, it just underscores just how frustrating that game was, which is a shame because it was such a classic football game, and yet I watched it like a little pissant OU fan going, "Why aren't we killing them? I don't want to watch this crap anymore." <laughs> oh, I mean that's fair because OU just look at the number of first downs, twenty-one to eight. Baylor went and played sixty minutes of football. And had eight first downs. They completed nine passes, right? Like between yeah, nine all nine out of twenty-seven. One out of three passes they did among their three quarterbacks. They got sacked six times. The team Sooners had fifteen tackles for loss. Uh, Baylor averaged one point two yards per rush. Twenty. Uh, what was the fifty-six plays uh, Baylor ran? Twenty-two of them gained zero yards. That didn't produce positive yards. Twenty-two of their plays produced negative yards or zero yards. It's just remarkable the way this game was dominated 37 minutes of time of possession to 23 um oh you you know they just did everything right except you know protect the quarterback jalen hurst got sacked three times that offensive line played like warm no room temperature piss yep that's that's the best i can say i'm not going to call out any one guy but as a group they played by far their worst game of the season. And it just so happened they played it against their uh, the best defensive line they played all season. And then uh, the other thing that OU did wrong was turn the football over. Yes, obviously. And then the two – that was the first half. And then the two deep plays, deep throws – well, one deep throw, one across the middle in the second half. Other than those four plays and, and protections along the line in the first half, this was, a, this was like a 48-10 to 10 type of ball game. Yeah, and you know, you you also left out penalties, John. And I thought, yeah, really... no, those, those were on the offensive line. I, I include those. I price that one into the offensive line okay, as well okay. because those guys jumping off sides, false start, uh, Ill- illegal shift, uh, holding when you don't need to hold. Um, that offensive line played just abysmally bad. Yeah, and I, I I don't know exactly when this happened, but it was around the ten, anywhere from the ten to the seven minute mark of the second quarter. So up until this point, OU is dominating this football game, even on offense. That's ten nothing, and I believe OU has a third and six, third and seven, 
And especially because Jalen Hurts, you know, he's not super dependable in terms of like a complete nutter passing down. I love the delay draw. Like every like I always feel bad for people I watch games with because whenever OU's in a situation like that, I just scream, delay draw, delay draw, because I just remember how effective it was with Quentin Griffin, how effective it was with um DeMarco Murray. It just always seems like the defense is never prepared for it, and then OU picks up a first down. Well, they finally did it, John. They ran a delay draw on a third and six, seven situation with Kennedy Brooks, and he picks up the first down. Then it gets called back because I believe Marquise Hayes was called for holding, mm-hmm. and then OU eventually had to punt. But from that point on, the offense just stopped moving in the second quarter and allowed yeah. Baylor to come back in, especially because Jalen Hurts, I think, on the next drive is when he turned the football over. So just undisciplined play. Uh, getting beat, and when you're playing teams like Baylor with that defense and when you're playing teams like LSU in a few weeks, you know, players are going to make plays, and I'm fine with that. My thing is just you need to make the equal amount of plays, but it's just, oh, you kept shooting themselves in the foot, and I just don't know what to chalk it up to, John. Like, is this team just completely and utterly undisciplined, or is this team just really, it's a rebuilding year, and they're working with a lot of pieces that don't necessarily compare obviously with some of the pieces that have been at this um at this school over the last few years so we should be applauding them for getting this far but at the same time this is OU there are standards here and they just a lot of times just they just haven't met them when we're talking about the offensive line or even the quarterback right they're they're um they're they're not meeting their own standards for sure that's that's where you start um but they're young. The roster's young. Uh, I've said it before. Uh, two-thirds of their, their two-deep is, is sophomores or freshmen, redshirt freshmen or true freshmen. That's, that's really, really important. And consider where they are. That's why I think um, LSU uh, – I haven't broken down the LSU roster yet, but I think LSU's got some experienced players. That's, that's, that's a real um, advantage for LSU in that game, and it was a real advantage for Baylor. I mean, Oklahoma's got talented football players – but when you put them in a, a phone booth and say, now go slug your way out and think your way out of this mess because this other team has got guys that are older and more experienced than you, you see the challenges that it presents. And you saw it against Kansas State, and you saw it against Iowa State, and you saw it against Baylor twice. And you know they won three of those four games, but all three of them were just barely because the other team's experience – made almost all the difference in the world. This is this they're that close to being a four or even now five loss team, this Oklahoma football team. So yeah, it's uh, it's something to think about for sure. It it, it does really <laughs> does really tell me how spoiled we, I am as an OU fan. Um Jalen Hurts is going to New York City for up for the Heisman. He's probably not going to win it yes, but he's still there. It means he's one of the best players in the country. And even when some of my friends hate on him and there have been times where he frustrates the hell out of me He's still accumulated over 50 touchdowns in one season. He's really good. He's very, very good. He just He's makes, exceptional. He just makes one to three boneheaded plays a game um, over the last six weeks or so, and that's fair to yeah. say. I, I'm not trying to say anything insulting about him. That's just what has happened. And then OU's offense is still, I think S&P at the end of the year ranked them number two right behind LSU, mm-hmm. barely. And we still complain about this isn't Baker's offense, this isn't Kyler's offense. I mean, who gives a crap? But I mean, that's what the standard is. So it does tell me how much of a spoiled brat I am when it comes to OU football. But um, the other guy on offense that had the, the you know the, just the the day, CD Lamb and John, we talked about him uh, going into the game because of some rumors, because he hadn't necessarily had a lot of production over the last few weeks. 
And he didn't have a touchdown, but he did every about everything else you could do as a receiver in terms of helping your team win. 173 or 178 yards receiving, uh, made big catches. He got the day rolling with that 70-yard uh, pass catch, which was basically a three-yard route that he turned into <laughs> a 70-yard pass catch. He's um, pretty good. And if Kennedy Brooks um, just simply looked behind him, uh, CD would have just walked into the end zone and got his touchdown, but um, OU eventually scored a play or two later, so it didn't really matter, but... Um, you, you told, you educated me on what you look for in terms of Blitnikoff, uh, award winners. And you, you painted this picture that told me maybe John isn't going to vote for CD lamb here. And based on what he told me, I can't necessarily disagree with you, but again, I don't want you to reveal who you're voting for, but CD lamb didn't have a touchdown, but he was by far the best player on the field. And he helped OU win a game in overtime, even though he didn't make the game winning play. Just describe how you felt about CD's day against Baylor. Well, he was special. Um, and the Sooners were, you know, cons- I think Lincoln Riley was conservative in getting him the football. The, you know, they're not doing the deep stuff anymore. They're not doing the, the protection, you know, seven-step drop or even a five-step drop where, where Jalen Hurts waits for CD Lamb to break open somewhere in the secondary they were getting him the football quick. They were getting him uh, the football on the little inside screens and hitches. The 71-yarder was uh, was basically a four or five-yard out, and he, he ran kind of a lazy route if you look at it. He just kind of rounded it off and ran out there in the flat, and Jalen Hurst put it on the money, and he makes the first guy miss, and then he makes the, the next two guys hesitate as the, as they're they're thinking, oh, we're just going to escort him out of bounds. Now he's like, I, I'm not, I'm good. I'm not going out of bounds. And he spins instead and splits them, makes them look like idiots. And then he makes another guy miss down the sideline. Those were the, the guy is special. CD lamb is special. There's no doubt about it. And to see him turn a uh, continually turn short passes into something. Lo- he, he's not a, the, am I wrong? Am I, am I missing something? prototypical uh you know throw it short and you know that guy breaks it for 30 yards 50 yards 70 yards yeah he's not he doesn't have the body prototype for that but no. yet remember the 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 picture of him in the offseason working out and, and he's flexing with a couple of his teammates and you're like oh my goodness he has really beefed up put on some muscle that's made all the difference for him and he's going to make some money from all that weightlifting Oh yeah, I mean he's just going to make money just based off of his production alone, and I feel like I've said it three or four times this year, and you kind of just talked about it, John. He's made plays this year that I didn't think he was capable of, and it's not because I didn't think he was good enough to do it, but because he's there are two types of receivers. Like if you're going to be lazy, there are possession guys and then yak guys, and I never thought of Ceedee Lamb as a yak guy. Now he can catch the ball and he's fast. But he's not agile like a Marquise Brown. He doesn't have breakaway blinding speed like a Marquise Brown. Uh, he's, he doesn't have the agility like a Mark Clayton or Sterling Shepard where he can stop on a dime and find um, opening spots in, in the zone. He's just so good and methodical at what he does. But this year, he made five or six plays like that all year. I mean, he, pretty much his entire day against Texas. That touchdown run he had against Kansas State that put OU back in the, in the ball game late. Uh, just so many, so many instances of CD Lamb just going. I had no idea he could do that. That guy is. I said it to my group chat, John. I think CD Lamb is by far the best receiver OU's had um, since Mark Clayton. And I think, mm. on an athletic standpoint, of course, I think he's better than Mark Clayton. But Mark Clayton just he produced at such a level and made so many big plays and so many big games that it's hard for me to even say that CD Lamb is better than him. But 
I think, obviously, CD's going to be a first-round draft pick, probably have a better NFL career than Mark, but Mark still had a great NFL, a, a really solid NFL career. Each so receiver has eight possible. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, CD Lamb, what a day. Uh, but I will, I will ask you, even though I don't want you to tell me who you voted for, was that enough to, like, pique your interest a little bit? Because you, you did tell me he hasn't done a lot in big games outside of Texas. That was a big game for him, for sure. Um, I'm looking at his uh, game by game. He had eight for 167 against Iowa State. He had five for 135 against Kansas State. He had 10 for 171 against Texas. Uh, he had a big game, seven for 185 against Kansas against Texas Tech. Um, here's the thing with CD's season. It was a lot of feast or famine. Two for 16 against TCU, two for 25 against Kansas, one for 39 against UCLA, two for 25, I already said Kansas, uh, four for 36 against Oklahoma State. It was all, and I mean all like running down the field for a 75-yard touchdown, breaking five tackles, or nothing for him. And and that's why, you know, you look at a guy like Jamar Chase, who had, uh, the, the, he's the LSU receiver. What did he have? He had 20 more catches than CD did, mm-hmm. uh, 200, 300 more yards than CD did, and three more touchdowns. He did it on a more game-by-game basis. Now, uh, in the SEC championship game, he only had three for 41 against Georgia, but it's one of those deals where it's like they didn't need him. He had a, he had a He's had two 200-yard games. He had a 197-yard game. Plus, he's just his regular output has just been more consistent than cd so um if that gives you any kind of hint as to how i voted i'm okay with that i am but uh i will say this those guys are one and two and i don't think it's close i don't think the third guy's close i am going to hold you accountable a little bit john because i did remember using that argument against you last week when we talked about this i did specifically say do you ever look at certain games where he maybe produced very little and say well they really didn't need him against UCLA to catch a bunch mm-hmm. of balls. They didn't really need, right. need him against Kansas. Um, and you told me like that's you know, like I don't use that, but you just said for uh, for LSU that that kind of weighed into. Again, I'm not going to tell you that you're right or wrong. I mean, um, obviously, I'd I'd shake my pom poms for CD Lamb any day, but um, yeah, and, and but you know. Listen, both guys are supremely talented. Both guys um, had big games against good opponents, and they also had uh, small games against good opponents. So uh, I just think on the whole, I think uh, in terms of consistency, week-to-week production, you saw a more consistent line out of Jamar Chase this year. And, you know, maybe that part, I don't think there's any doubt, part of that is is quarterback. And, And, you know, Lincoln Riley has a significant advantage in terms of experience and play calling over Joe Brady and Steve Ensminger at uh, LSU. But I think Lincoln Riley was probably a little bit hamstrung with, um, if he'd have had Joe Brady this year for, I'm sorry, Joe Burrow, uh, this year, for instance, he probably would have had CD lamb probably would have had hundred catches and 1700 yards. Oh man, that poor CD Lamb! All he's done is play with three different quarterbacks, and all of them have gone to New York City for the Heisman. <laughs> Life is tough. Yeah, and he deserves. Listen, if he deserve, if he wins the the Belitnikov, I'm not going to be surprised at all because he's he's just that good. I think he's probably. I, I said it uh, two years ago when when uh, Marquise Brown was the All American. I said CD Lamb's a better receiver than Marquise Brown. Marquise Brown's got elite speed, but in terms of his body style and his his catch radius. 
um, you know, his, his hands, the stickiness of his hands. Mm-hmm. I think C.D. Lamb, this was two years ago when he was a freshman. I said, he's special, and I'll be darned, he is. And I thought the same too, John, but, I mean, all that being said, Marquise Brown has still kicked a lot of ass in the NFL and just frankly surprised me with how good he's been thus far. But Lamar, I agree. Baltimore's really good, and Lamar Jackson's a hell of a quarterback. But uh, before we get over to the defense, I did want to point out, because we talked about the offensive line, we talked about Jalen. Um, even though Jalen had those two turnovers, he did make – I don't even want to say enough plays because, like, what he rushed, like, 22 times for 38 yards. Yeah, yeah, not good at all. Like, the um, – I will say one more thing for CeeDee Lamb. I love that Lincoln ran that play again. Um, he sends CeeDee in motion. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jalen fakes it to him. CeeDee keeps just – run. he just runs to the boundary and then curls upfield. Yeah, and runs Jay- a wheel route. Yeah, he runs a wheel route. And Jalen will do the thing where he just kind of, like, moves forward like a step and – kind of crouches down looking like he's just going to run into a wall at the line of scrimmage and then he pops his head back up cd's open uh ou and cd scored on that same play against texas i love that play but sadly i think you can only really run it two or three times a year so they probably won't see see that that much in the peach bowl against lsu but that was a cool play jalen did well, jalen did make some throws i i don't want to bury him too much he did lead ou to a big 12 championship he's a good <laughs> he's a good quarterback he just makes oh just those those plays listen you'd you'd agree that okay first of all let me take you back to that play uh they ran cd in motion against texas i think i counted 18 times maybe 16 times i yeah i thought he was going to like die on the field of exhaustion yeah. just, be, just by running in motion. Yeah, and he did something different basically almost every time. So I do think you can at some point expose the LSU defense. LSU's defense is no world beaters. I think you can expose them a little bit, and CeeDee Lamb's going to be your guy to do it. Uh, and it's going to be a lot of the key, I think, is going to be him in motion because they're going to come out and say, all right, number 11's not going to catch a lot of passes. Number 8's not going to catch a lot of passes. Number 84, we don't got to worry about him. 81's just tight end who doesn't have great hands. You know, they're going to look at CD, and the, you start putting him in motion on, you know, 15 on a third of the plays or a quarter of the plays. If you run 60 plays and he's in motion 15 times, they're going to be concerned about him. It's going to be a lot of window dressing. Other guys are going to get open. But there's going to be opportunities where he does run that wheel route, and, and they're going to be looking for it and then somebody else is open, or they're not going to be looking for it, and it's going to be a touchdown to CeeDee Lamb. So, uh, And then the other thing, you would, you would agree with me that Baker Mayfield's a pretty good quarterback, right? Oh, Especially in college. Of course I would. Okay, you'd probably agree with me that Kyler Murray's a pretty good college quarterback, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so they, they had really high completion percentages. Sam Bradford, pretty good college quarterback. Jason White, pretty good college quarterback. Jalen Hurts' completion percentage, which is a byproduct of when you throw the football, if, the, if your team catches it, it goes down as a completion, okay? In case you newbies down there, out there don't understand how it works. <laughs> it's the percentage of passes that you complete against the total completion, uh, the, the total percentage of passes that you throw. His completion percentage is higher than anybody else in the history of OU football, including the guys that Lincoln Riley coached. So don't tell me. I, I just I go back to the preseason stuff. Oh, that's a guy that can't throw the ball. What? Yes. A guy that can't throw the ball doesn't complete 73% of his passes or 71% of his passes. Exactly. A yeah. guy that can't throw the ball is like you know, uh, uh, Cody Thomas, who completes 48%, or uh, uh, Trevor, Trevor Knight, Knight, who completes 56%, or Blake Bell, who completes 
those are guys who can't throw the football. Don't don't give me Jalen Hurts can't throw the football when he's completing seventy one percent of his passes. That's absurd. And he's asked and, to make throws. He he's not he's, he's not running a Sam Ellinger and offense. And he's taking he's, a beating. Yeah. In the run game, an absolute beating, and we've seen him slow down. We've seen his accuracy come and go a little bit down the stretch as the you know the wind picks up and whatnot. I mean, thirteen out of sixteen at at Bedlam. And Stillwater with 30 and 40 mile an hour wins. He goes 13 out of 16. Don't tell me he can't throw football. So I just, uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm not sitting here pounding the pulpit because I'm in love with Jalen Hurts, but I don't get it. I don't, I, I know he turns the football over and makes boneheaded mistakes and, and does things that as a OU fan would make you say, I can't stand that. But that's because you're spoiled by utter perfection of the previous two quarterbacks. I mean, get, cut this guy some slack. I will say, though, John, um, because you talked about it a little bit earlier about um, OU and Lincoln Riley being a little bit conservative um, in the Big 12 Championship against Baylor. Absolutely. I think that's where most of the frustration lies with OU fans when it comes to Jalen Hurts because, yeah, he makes one or two bad plays against good teams. So mm-hmm. be it. Most The rest of the time, he's making positive plays or, or just neutral plays in terms of just he takes off and gets no gain. Oh, well, you live to fight another day. You still have the football. It doesn't matter. Um, but I think where the frustration lies is just in what OU fans perceive as Lincoln Riley being forced to be conservative because he doesn't trust that Lincoln can make, or he doesn't trust that Jalen can make the throw. So that's fair. OU's in the red zone. They call run plays really to me. I'm like, I don't drives bogged down and you have to kick field goals. Yeah, that's fair. That's a fair criticism. Yeah. But it really just depends on the situation. It's so fine. Like the differences in situations. That was a game where you could win with field goals because it was it was two defenses killing each other and one offense killing themselves and another offense being led by a third-string quarterback. You've got to like your chances if you're just getting points in that situation with how your defense is playing. So I don't necessarily mind the conservative the conservative nature of the play calling, but I think that's, that's where the frustration lies with OU fans is that they are just so used to, we're in the red zone, here comes a touchdown. Why are we just running straight into a brick wall? Why are we kicking a field goal? Why? And it comes back to Jalen Hurts. Yeah, um, and and Lincoln can't open up the playbook like he did with Baker and and Kyler. Um, Jalen does a lot of good things, but I think Lincoln has become uh, conservative by design because there there are certain things that and, and it took Lincoln. Think about it now. It took Lincoln twelve games basically to figure this out. What is he capable of? What is he really good at? And what is he not so good at? Uh, and you could say 13 because that throw, again, coming off your coming out of your red zone, you throw it to the other team like that in traffic. Um, maybe Lincoln's still learning what Jalen yeah. is really comfortable with, what he can excel at, and what maybe holds him back a little bit. I mean, yeah, he makes that throw, but then he also makes that touchdown pass to Nick Baskin on oh, yeah. back shoulder, just perfect in the yeah. exact right spot. And he threw it with confidence. It was a perfect throw. You just put your hands up and just go. He's good. He's good enough. If he's way better passer than I think people gave him credit for when he arrived. Yeah. And and that's exactly. If you go back, recall some of our conversations. I said, guys, he's being coached now by arguably the best quarterbacks coach in the country. He's going to be fine. And look, if, look at if I'll I'll be darned if he's not fine. Exactly. Um, I don't think OU is going to win a national title. We'll get to that a little bit later. But if now, if, hang on, if we'll they, get to it a little bit later. But you're talking about a team that does have a defense all of a sudden. Yes, so. yes. 
Yes, that, and, whereas offensively they had a puncher's chance before, I think maybe defensively now they have a puncher's chance. Exactly. So we'll get to that later, as you said. Yes. Um, I did want to mention Ramondre Stevenson, Kennedy Brooks. Kennedy Brooks, of course, I mean, a concussion? I mean, I, no one knows what happens, of course. Lincoln didn't really say anything. Um, they, um, him, Kennedy Brooks and Buki Radley-Hiles were at least celebrating on the field and on the stage, so um, it's not a Marquise Brown situation like last year where we all knew, like, oh, God, mm-hmm. he's he's done. Yeah. So who knows what what the status is, status is of those guys? But Kennedy Brooks ran the ball well. But my goodness, John, I don't know how many times I was screaming at whether I was watching it on TV or um, listening to it on the radio when I had to go back home. Um, I don't know how many times I was screaming, "Why isn't Ramondre Stevenson playing?" Because I love Kennedy Brooks. I think he's a fine tailback. But in terms of how Baylor is defensively, how good they are. I just felt like they needed a guy that was a tad bit twitchier than Kennedy Brooks. Kennedy Brooks is just a straight line. He's not Alex Ross. I, I don't mean this in an insulting way. Kennedy Brooks can find a hole and ride it. He can ride his blockers, and he typically falls forward. I think Kennedy Brooks is a good back. But because Baylor's defense was so talented up front, I just felt like just get somebody in there that's a little bit more agile, a little bit quicker, a little bit more, uh, I don't even know how to describe it, uh, a little bit more risk takier. <laughs> A mm-hmm. little, bit, little bit riskier. Ramondre Stevenson is exactly that type of running back. And well, the, it, Ramondre Stevenson's risky for sure. He's got how many fumbles this year? Yeah, I know. And that's, prob- <laughs> that's probably the answer um, as yeah. to what I'm getting to. But the handful of carries he got, John, I mean, he was just picking up yards and chunks. He did that against OSU to cap that game off before that touchdown run got called back, of course, by Marquise Hayes. But um, Ramondre Stevenson, I just he's, there's just something special about him when he runs the football, John. And it, I, it was cool that he capped off the game with that game, what became the game-winning touchdown. Uh, I just, I hope I see a little bit more of Ramondre in the uh, uh, Peach Bowl against LSU. I just feel like he's just got something special about him when he touches the ball. It kind of reminds me of that weird specialness that we saw out of, like when Roy Finch would touch the football. Now, Roy Finch never really became anything at OU, <laughs> but every time he touched the ball, it was exciting. Every time DeMarco Murray touched the ball before he his kneecap exploded in, in Lubbock. It was exciting. I get the same thing from Ramondre, and I just want to see him more. I think that's. Uh, I think you're onto something there. Um, but ball security is important, uh, unless you're the quarterback. Which is why Roy uh, Finch but, never became anything. <laughs> well, that and that's why Demarco Murray had to redshirt his freshman year because yeah. his ball security wasn't good. Um, it became very good, but uh, no, I, I mean. I still have that picture framed in my mind of DeMarco Murray and Adrian Peterson at spring practice. DeMarco's yeah. true freshman year standing next yeah. to each other. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, that's that's two pretty good backs uh, on the field at the same time, arguably, possibly. Uh, but it's not like Adrian Peterson had uh, great ball security. He fumbled, I think, seven times to start his freshman season, and uh, they didn't lose one of them. Remember, they kept either recovering them or the ball would go out of bounds. Yeah. It was crazy. <laughs> but, uh, no, this is this is, you're talking about offensive, uh, you know, the ball being a um, – getting. Uh, what, what, what am I trying to say? What's the word? It's, a, uh, it's at a premium. Ball security is at a premium. Yeah. When you have an offense like this, if you if you screw it up, uh, you, you know, if you drop the football, you could be in trouble. Now, here's the thing is the, the OU defense, they don't live that way anymore. They don't live that life. If, if the offense screws up and drops the football, it's, the OU defense comes on the field and says, don't worry about it. We got this. Yeah, it's so, time to kick some ass. <laughs> yeah, I, I think Ramondre Stevenson will continue to be uh, Kennedy Brooks's backup 
in uh, in Atlanta. He'll come in. He's a great change of pace back after you've been chasing the Labrador the entire the entire day. Here comes the bulldog, and yeah. and you're thinking, oh, come here, buddy. Woo! Where'd that come from? Uh, he just a little bit change of pace. Um, so that's going to be something that uh, that I think uh, they're going to try and exploit uh, that and the and the Jalen Hurts factor. Here's the deal too. Jalen Hurts, 23 carries, 38 yards. His yards per carry has gone down, down, down the past three or four weeks. Yeah. I think he's, he's carried the ball 200 times this season. He's, he's tired. And like I said, he has taken a beating, which, uh, makes you maybe should make you appreciate even more his ability to go 17 of 24 for 287 yards. Um, and 13 of 16 at Stillwater on a super windy day because, He's throwing the ball with some accuracy and some efficiency, even though he, Lincoln Riley is still making him carry the football so much and just getting just getting his ass knocked off. So is the way the coaches yeah. say it. So I, I don't know that that whole thing of uh, uh, you know Kennedy Brooks going for one fifty against LSU. I don't see it, but the three of them together, Ramondre Kennedy and and maybe Jalen Hurts in there as well. I think you're talking about a, if you can get 150, 200 yards out of those guys, I think all of a sudden you've got an Oklahoma team that might have a chance to win the football game. Yeah, I'm actually weirdly confident that OU will be able to run the football just because that's what their identity is, and I just don't think LSU's defense is good enough to stop it consistently and in, in, to a point where you know they're just averaging like two yards per carry and then Lincoln just mm-hmm. has to d- abandon it. I don't know if that's going to happen. Now, I've seen OU teams go into games like this and then just hit a wall – just suck and all the bad things happen so if it does happen i guess i technically won't be surprised but i i'm weirdly confident that that's going to be the case i don't know if that's me means that OU is going to win that's another story but um no i i wish i would have said it on this i don't know if i've said it on this podcast yet but i've been telling my friends all year john i mean i feel bad for jalen just because of the beating he's taken because this season really reminds me and I'm, i'm 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 a miami dolphins fan it reminds me of the first year that Ricky Williams went to the Dolphins and Dave Wanstat just ran him into the ground. He got, I don't know, like 200-something carries or whatever, and he led the NFL in rushing, but he got his ass whooped. And that's why Ricky lost his mind and wanted to go smoke weed in Africa. <laughs> he was like, I, I don't want to die on this football field because Dave Wanstat has no idea how to coach football in the NFL. We have no quarterback. All we have is me. Um, that's not the case with Jalen Hurts, but... It does. I do take that into account as much as I can. Like he is getting his ass whooped in terms of just the beating and the hits that he's taking every single game, twenty to thirty times a game. But right. uh, what you kind of said earlier, you know, his yards per carry have dropped significantly as the weeks have gone on. You know, some of that could be fatigue. Yes, the other is just the defenses and the games have just got bigger and b- bigger and harder. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they've gone up against the five best teams they faced the last six games. There's no doubt. And it's weird because none of us thought that was going to be the case. If we look at the schedule going into the year, we never thought that. Oh yeah, like those are going to be all top thirty defenses and NFL draft picks, you know, sprinkled here and there. But um, I mean, it's going to be somewhat of the same case with LSU because while their defense isn't LSU worthy over the last few years, they still have LSU talent. But I think the three weeks off is going to do Jalen Hurts, this offensive line, and Lincoln Riley some good. Um, a hundred percent correct. Do, do them a lot of good because these, these physical games that they've played down the stretch against TCU and against Iowa state and against Baylor against Kansas state and even Oklahoma state, uh, plays physical nowadays having some time off to rest and recover. I mean, 
Jalen Hurts said it in the in the post game. There's a narrative out there that the SEC is a different animal, but Baylor hits you, and Baylor tackles real well. Baylor's yeah. real physical. So there's no doubt that uh, this team. Yeah, kudos to both teams for making the college football playoff. Um, one's undefeated. One's got one loss. They both play a physical brand of football, and they both play in a physical conference. And I don't think that's disputable anymore. I think anybody who really, outside of Jim Mora, who doesn't watch the Big 12, I think anybody who watches the Big 12 with any regularity would agree the Big 12 has become a more physical league. Yeah, and I um, I guess we'll skip the defense for just a second and just kind of briefly talk about the LSU game because we're going to have plenty of time to talk about this game, John. But I have this has gone through my head over the last few weeks. If OU were to make the playoff, and of course they did against LSU, I wonder if just the, the tougher nature, the more physical nature of the Big 12, at least this year than it has been in years past. And I've never been really one to, to say, well, the Big 12 sucks. That's why OU is losing these games. No, they're losing these games because their defenses were bad. It had nothing to do on a in a short-term sense. That's, that's why their defense sucked. It, it's just been unfortunate, and I guess you can kind of blame the Big 12 in terms of like it makes it that much more difficult to get defensive talent to come to your school. But I've never been one to just say the Big 12 sucks. That's, that's why their team is going to lose in the playoff. Like I think that that's silly, but... I do wonder if the the gauntlet that OU had to go through, if that's going to better prepare them for the LSU game where they don't have to sit through a quarter of being shell-shocked because, yeah, OU's offense was a little out of sort against Alabama because Lincoln, for whatever reason, kept trying to throw Marquise Brown out there and just send him in motion, and it was apparent the first play, this isn't going to work. But he kept riding that horse before, like up until it was too late. But I really feel like OU's offense really hit like a culture shock wall against Alabama and their defense, just because it was such a step up in talent and competition. And it took them a, a quarter or two to kind of get used to it before they got their feet rolling. I don't know if that's going to be the case against LSU in terms of this offense going up against LSU's defense because of having to play Baylor twice in the span of three or four weeks, or because of having to play Iowa State and all these other teams so close. Yeah, interestingly, um, I have been one that said in the past that uh, the Big 12 Conference is holding Oklahoma back. The Big 12 stinks. And so that's why you're not prepared to play Alabama, and that's why OU's not prepared to play Georgia, because the Big 12 doesn't prepare them. Um, this year, I don't think that's the case. This year, I think it's, I think it's very evident that the Big 12 actually has prepared Oklahoma to, to get in a phone booth and play a a fist fight type of ball game with a, with an LSU an SEC champion. Can you imagine uh, the an undefeated SEC champion hosting uh, the Big Twelve sacrificial lamb in a, in a southeastern city like Atlanta? Oh my gosh, it's going to be forty four to probably fourteen, isn't it? I mean, it's going to be an absolute blowout, and it could be. I'm not saying it's not. I'm just saying. So from a defense, uh, and and the, the the physical way that Oklahoma moves the football on offense nowadays. This, this looks like a totally different, not just football team, but a di different brand of football. I think this team might very well be equipped to, to play in a college football playoff. Yeah. I mean, the good thing, John, about it being such a quick turnaround, I mean, three weeks. That, I remember this like as a kid when OU would win the Big 12 championship and then wait, you know, it felt like it, it, it was like more than a month until the Orange Bowl or more than a month until the Sugar Bowl, and this is a three-week thing. 
I think the mm-hmm. good thing about this is I'm not going to be super overly optimistic. It, it doesn't give me enough time to be super overly optimistic that OU will win the game because they do have a chance. You said it. They have a puncher's chance. The way this defense has been playing, the way the offense is capable of playing, um, as long as Jalen doesn't turn the football over, OU's got a chance. They deserve to be there for a reason. But they're, they are going to be going up against Joe Burrow. They are going to be going up against LSU's uh, guys on the perimeter. They're elite skill guys, and they are yeah. super, super elite. They're uh, good. I've, I've watched three LSU games this year, and I have the same opinion about their defense as the entire uh, country that isn't Southern uh, for whatever reason. Um, he, still having said that, oh, he's going to have their work cut out for him, but um, they do have a chance. I think they have confidence that uh, they can cover C.D. Lamb with Derek Stingley, the freshman cornerback. Um, I think they probably have confidence that anybody else that wants to try to be a receiver is going to have to go through Grant Delpit, you know, All-American safety. Um, they're really good. You're right. They're really good in the back end. Uh, they're better in the back end probably than they are up front. But they've still – their guys up front are going to be better than anything Oklahoma's seen all year. With the with the sole exception of probably uh, Baylor and Baylor's got three really good defensive linemen and two good good linebackers, and then a couple guys in the secondary. Uh, SC, uh, the uh, LSU in the SEC has got more probably elite players than Baylor does. Yep. Um, at, at, at more positions without the fanfare. You know, without it being, oh my gosh, those guys are really good, and they're playing at Baylor. No, this is just everyday stuff for LSU. Yeah, LSU's run defense has only given up like three point six yards per carry, so this is going to be a, a real challenge for Oklahoma. I mean, we we've been back on uh, LSU's defense all year because Texas scored forty some on them, and and Sam Ellinger looked like an All American, and that was kind of our standard that we set in week two, and we look back on it and we say, yeah, but. They gave up all these yards. Yeah, but they gave up all these points. Yeah, but they Texas did this to them. They're not that good. Well, they're good. They are good. Um, and yeah. and that's good. That's the scary part for this Oklahoma offense. Lincoln Riley is going to have to scheme something up to where Jalen Hurts takes care of the football. C.D. Lamb gets the football a lot, and they're able on the offensive line to clear some some running room to get like I said, like I suggested, 150 yards rushing. If they can do that, they can accomplish those three things: take care of the football by number one get the football number two, and then the five guys up front clearing some running lanes. I think they've got a chance. Yeah, just run the football. I mean, Ole Miss rushed for, what, 400 yards? Or they're still running the football against LSU. There you go. That's that's another thing is the Ole Miss game. That was a disaster for those guys. Yeah. I just said there's not enough time for me to get super hopeful. I'm already super hopeful. It never (laughs) fails. Um, Well, uh, two years ago they had – it was a month. It was uh, exactly – you know, from December 2nd to January 1st, uh, last year it was, it was 28 days. It was four weeks. So, um, in the past it's been right at a month or just over a month, but this year three weeks. So I think that's enough time to rest up and enough time to not get your mind clouded with things that aren't important. They're going to have to really narrow it down and say, this is what we're doing. These are the principles we're going to have to stick to. Yeah, and hopefully for OU, uh, LSU gets a little bit of the Heisman curse that seems to only affect OU and nobody else because Alabama <laughs> gets a Heisman Trophy winner and they win. Um, Auburn. Auburn. Florida State. Well, I guess we we got the one against Winky, so I guess ta- technically. I was it, thinking uh, the Jameis the Jameis curse. Oh, I mean, thank God for them they didn't play Alabama. Alabama would have kicked their ass, but <laughs> that's a different story. Um, 
we haven't really talked that much about the defense, John, in terms of just like really going into their performance against uh, Baylor. So I, I'd be a little silly if we didn't. We just spent the last hour talking about Matt mm-hmm. Rule and Jalen Hurts and how he sucks and everything. But um, <laughs> the defense, man, all year they have answered the call. And I, I said this to one of my friends after the game. In a weird way, this defense needed a, a quarterback like Jalen Hurts. Because it forced Lincoln, absolutely it, it needed um, a quarterback that that forced Lincoln Riley to go. Okay, we need to be ball control. We need to grind out drives and really mm-hmm. like instead of going on two minute drives where we score in four plays, which is great and cool. We need to hold on to the football so that one helps your defense because they're rested. And I'm not one to say that's why OU's defense sucked the last few years is because they didn't get enough rest. No, you go out there and you play football no matter what. But on a consistency basis, it does kind of take a toll. So I'll just say that. They also needed a quarterback in Jalen Hurts that, at times, like we've said, turns the football over and puts the defense into a position to show just how badass they can be or how bad they are. And this season, the defense answered the call, I think, more times than not when OU was put into a bad spot against Jalen Hurts. If they didn't do it on that particular drive as the game wore on, they obviously answered the call. So... If this team had Kyler Murray or Bacon, Baker Mayfield, I think we would have seen subtle improvements. But, man, the defense is just the, – the statistical improvements speak for themselves, John. But now it's like – we've said it a handful of times, but I feel like every week I get a little bit more confident in saying, I'm excited to see the defense go out there and kick ass. I am counting up right now, and I'm on the number 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 20-ish, about 20 drives going into the Big 12 championship. Oklahoma has had touchdown drives of five minutes or longer. 20. Nice. Think about that. And it, I mean, it's, so, it, it's been a while. It's been since uh, the DeMarco Murray years, probably not, probably not even that, because he played with Sam Bradford and they were wide open. I'm thinking like uh, 2006, um, maybe 2004, probably, when they had that many five-minute scoring drives. That's ridiculous. Yeah. This team, you're, you're 100% right. Uh, the, the defensive success is, is clearly a product of, of Alex Grinch and the new mindset and the new frame of mind, the new confidence that everybody has. But it's also partially because of the the way the offense has been so much more deliberate. Um, if you look at the if you look at the stats, thirty, gosh, thirty four minutes uh, the 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 time of possession, uh, thirty four minutes in the Oklahoma State game, thirty seven minutes in the second Baylor game, thirty nine minutes against TCU, forty one minutes against Baylor, uh, especially lately, they have just decided. Lincoln Riley's just decided this is how we're going to win games. We have to hold on to the football. We have to slow it down. We have to have minimum possessions. Uh, we have to take our time between plays and, and, you know, take points when you can get them. That means a lot of field goals. And, you know, for Oklahoma, that means Gabe Burkett's is still perfect on the season. That's been a real positive, but those things all come together and it makes the defense look like something that last year's defense was just not capable of. And that is capable, a capable defense. 
Speaking of Gabe Burkich, I swear to God, I'm going to destroy every single commentator because they're trying to get him to miss. Oh, Gabe Burkich hasn't missed a field goal all year. And every time they say it, I'm like, you son of a bitch, you're doing this on purpose. You've got money on this game, clearly. That should just be a rule as a commentator. Like, yes, you're not rooting for anybody, but don't ruin something. Don't – oh, he's he's pitching a no-hitter. Don't he's say anything. no-hitter through five. Yeah, that's right. You that's asshole, exactly right. Don't, don't ruin something. <laughs> Having said that, Gabe Burke is just kind of a badass. I mean, maybe he transcends super silly superstitions, but dude you know, is uh, seventeen for seventeen this season. Big field goals too, big ones, not just little chip shots all the time because OU gets into the red zone and they can't finish. Like he's hit forty yarders that yeah. OU absolutely needed to not just win but to stay in football games, like the Kansas State kick uh, five six weeks ago. He's kicked big field goals, and I'm perfectly fine. And happy when OU has to trot out Gabe Burkich because I'm I don't, like, okay, this is good. I don't know if Burkich is like a Romanian name or a Lithuanian name or a German name, but I think he's he's uh, picking up the the nickname. His first name is going to be Otto. Ooh. As in automatic. Yeah, I like it. You like that, don't you? I like it. It it certainly fits. Lou Groves, uh, hashtag Lou Groves Award. That's uh, right. <laughs> um, the defense, though, I mean, Kenneth Murray, I think we – pretty much agreed to it by the time OU had beaten Texas after that performance. I mean, he's he's going to test well at the Combine, and maybe just off testing alone, GMs are going to want him in the first round. Mm-hmm. But his performance on the field, John, just – I I got super scared when he went down for a few plays because it looked like <laughs> he immediately grabbed his leg and it looked bad for a second. And another cool Matt Rule moment, He I guess he went over to Lincoln Riley and was like, hey, is Kenneth okay? To which – um, part of me was like, that's really a nice human being thing to do. And then also I'm like, what's Lincoln supposed to say? Like, uh, I'm not going to tell you, but you're right. You <laughs> don't even tell us. <laughs> but if, but if Lincoln's like, no, he's, he's fine, man. Thanks for asking. Matt rules like, okay, that's good. Then he walks back to the sideline and goes, God damn it. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, Kenneth, badass. Play, he, he played his way into the first round, in my opinion, yeah, uh, but, and but, I, against, against Baylor. He's showing, He's showing a, 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 an ability to be a, a big-time college football linebacker. In other words, take on the lead blocker and stuff the play and then uh, stand there and, and grab, the, grab the ball carrier as well. He can do that. He's chasing down guys from sideline to sideline, and he's not just chasing them down like, oh, I got there. No, he's, he's putting a, a noose around their neck and throwing them to the ground with – you know, authority and just pounding guys, hitting them. I mean, knocking them in the next week, doing it legally. But w- when he throws that arm around your neck, I, I mean, I'm I'm thinking he's gonna he's gonna really seriously hurt somebody one of these times, and it's just gonna be because he's such a badass. Yeah, that he's that, playing like a Butkus Award winner right now. That it's, sack it's, a, he it's had, amazing. That sack he had before the sack that everybody remembers that pretty much knocked Charlie Brewer out of the game for good. Mm-hmm. But the one where he shot the gap, like the A gap, yeah. uh, shed the blocker and just ran right into Brewer. That's a play that Kenneth Murray hasn't made in two years. That's uh, right. He's a guy who a lot of times is in the wrong gap. He's a guy who in a lot of times is in the wrong spot. And, you know, the the logical side of me is going at the time, well, he's not a middle linebacker. He's playing out of position because this coaching staff, the prior coaching staff, sucked at recruiting so much that we have to start putting – guys out of position and three years into it he's finally you know it's caught on to him to such an extent but that play he doesn't make over the last two years and it just really speaks to the um to the development that he's made and 
he looks like a badass, and he's you know at times by OU fans he's been criticized as being like looking like Tarzan but playing like Jane. He's playing yeah. like he's playing like Tarzan all year. No doubt, he's and, he's been that good. Um, he, he's just been he he understands uh, offenses. He understands concepts. He understands the the way offenses uh, try to go about their business. And that's, that's a big part of it. I mean, he's a smart football player, but now he's playing like it. And he, he's recognizing, and I think we're seeing the, the difference in him his first two years and this year, is he might make a play last year that makes you say, oh my gosh, what a play by Kenneth Murray. And then the very next play, you know, he's he's having to take on a run fit in the gap and he completely whiffs on a tackle because, because why? Because he doesn't have confidence. He play, he's playing with a confidence right now, and I think you you saw it on that sack of Charlie Brewer, the, the the big one that knocked Brewer out, where he was he was out of the play, and Brewer decided I'm going to go ahead and start scrambling, and Kenneth Murray recognized, wait a minute, I'm not out of the play. I'm going to go ahead and turn on my jets, and I'm going to sprint, and I'm going to chase him down, and then as Brewer stops to to rotate his body and and you know, cock his arm and try to get a, enough on the football and make a good throw. Kenneth Murray recognized right there in that split second because of the confidence he's playing with now, he recognized he's not going to get that pass off because I'm going to swallow him. I'm going to swallow him whole. And I'm just going to devour him like a big old whale. It was, it was amazing. It was like, where has that play been for the past th- two years? He, he recognized and then he turned on the jets and then he realized, dude, I can sack him. I'm I'm right next to him. I'm and he just launched himself. Uh, it reminded me of a comic book character. Just like launched himself, and boom, he was the airborne. And Charlie Brewer had no chance after that. That's the kind of play I think that that is that he's making right now because of the confidence factor and the recognition that he just didn't have in the past. Yeah, and I mean, you said it. He's playing like a buckus winner, and I feel like the narrative around OU that seems to still be perpetuated by people with significance and a platform. We're talking to you, Jim Mora. You know, there's lazy narratives that people can just easily lean on because they're not going to watch every single damn game. That's that's silly. Most people that cover games nationally, they're going to watch the majority of like the big games, and then they'll just mm-hmm. be given stats and box well, scores of the now, other. Come rest- on now. Jim Jim Moore watches hundreds of games a week. I'm sure he does. Hundreds, meaning FCS, yeah. Division Two, NAIA, probably some high school, probably some JV games he watches. Hundreds of games a week that that guy watches. So show some respect on his name. I just wish he didn't get fired. I wish he got fired a year later so you could have kicked his ass in Norman. I know. It's, what a joke, man. That guy. He that's that's the single laziest uh, analyst that I've seen. Uh, of all of them that I've been watching over the years. When when a guy says, ah, Oklahoma's defense is just a disaster. Hey, buddy, it's 2019, not 2018. And even Jonathan Vilma, when he was forced to sit down and watch an OU game from start to finish and see all the intricacies of the in-between plays, not just the highlights, not mm-hmm. just the bad highlights, when he had to sit down and watch them probably for the first time, he was like, you know what? Their defense is actually kind of good. The offense yeah. is why they're not lo- they're not winning right now. And I get the I get the Mora thing where he says OU's defense is a disaster. If you're going to be lazy and just presume that, right? Because that's been the way it's been for the past five years. Yeah, I don't blame you for but, being lazy and coming to that conclusion. But right, but you're if lazy. you're gonna if you're gonna say the same thing about Baylor, 
Baylor can't play defense. All they are is flash and dash. They go up and down the on the field. They go up and down the field and score touchdowns. It's like, okay, now you're just now you're just tossing a coin or or throwing you know throwing something up in the air and hoping it sticks. That's the one right there that got me. That that actually illustrated to me this guy literally has no idea what he's talking about. He literally has not seen one Baylor game or one Oklahoma game all year long. Uh, well, it's because they play in a flag football conference that all of a sudden plays with like they've got a set of balls. But that's, I mean, narratives take some time to uh, mm-hmm. that's get, right. get rid of. You know, he has a chance to maybe turn some eyes when they play LSU in the Peach Bowl and everybody's darling, Joe Burrow. Um, before we get to the end of this show, though, John, I did want to highlight Nick Benito's play. I think in the middle of the season, basically around the Kansas State game, uh, we all kind of sat here and just were like, man, the John Michael Terry loss is was much bigger than we thought initially because OU hasn't been able to set the edge that well. They're getting exposed as a result. Nick Benito has just turned into a badass. And I remember when he committed to mm-hmm. OU and it was, it was pretty cool to get him because at the time we all knew what, where the recruiting was. But I do remember people, a lot of people going, he's a year or two away physically. Like right. this is, this is going to be a, a process. He's not going to be an immediate impact day one game changer. And he wasn't, but this quickly, he has turned into a monster. He yeah. has made play after play after play at, at, at a time where OU has absolutely need, needed their defense to make plays, and he's made them. And him along with Ronnie Perkins, Jalen Redmond, and Neville Gallimore taking up blockers, creating havoc in the middle. OU's defensive line going into this year, I was optimistic about them, but I also was like, I need to see stuff something sure. first. Their defensive line is so good. Calvin Thibodeau, give him a raise. Yeah, well, LaRon Stokes, don't forget, was the Big 12 defensive newcomer of the year. Made 13 tackles and was named uh, Big 12 newcomer of the year. It's like, what? But but that's what you're saying is 100% right. Okay, Uh, Nick Benito, aside from Kenneth Murray, might have been the most fearsome player on the field on Saturday in terms of he's defeating his man on on a consistent basis and he is wrecking shop somewhere, whether it's in the backfield or at the line of scrimmage or a couple of yards deep. Nick Benito was fantastic. Ronnie Perkins, holy crap, he is just making guys look stupid. You know, he's making quality, competent offensive linemen look pathetic because of his his motor and his hands and his technique. His feet are good. David Aguebu comes off the bench when when John Michael Terry gets hurt, and David Aguebu suddenly out there making plays. And you're thinking, wait a minute now, hold on, hold on. Surely there's a weak spot on this Oklahoma defense. Is it Deshaun White? Eh, you know, maybe, maybe not. He's He's been pretty good this year. I know where it is. It's Buki Radley-Hiles. Wait a minute. He's out there knocking people around on, on Saturday against Baylor as well. Where did that come from? I know, I know, I know. It's the safety position where DeLaren Turner Yell and Pat Fields were terrible all season, right? They're the weak link. They're terrible. Nobody likes them. Those guys have no business out there. Surely there's got to be somebody. Move one of those cornerbacks over, right? No. Those two dudes, while they – yeah, I'm going to give it up to you. They, they do have problems from time to time in coverage. They are – obliterating people in the run game. They are coming up and they are stuffing the run game because they're playing with confidence. I go back to what I was saying with Kenneth Murray. They're playing with confidence and they're they're coming. One of the reasons that the, the touchdown was scored or the long pass was made was because DeLaren Turner Yell was so confident that he left his pass coverage um, assignment and went to blow up the running play and is like, oh, it's not a running play. You're burned. He's being a little aggressive. But DTY and, and Pat Fields, the way they're playing with confidence at the line of scrimmage, 
attacking the whole tackling people. Remember the, the whole thing, the, the, uh, the UCLA game. Well, those guys aren't tackling. No, they are now they're <laughs> tackling, they're tackling a lot. And then of course we'll, we'll circle back and, and finish this thing off the right way. Trey Brown, who jumped off sides on a, a false started on a punt and on another punt coverage, he's running around down there and, and the Baylor punt returner fumbles the ball and it dribbles between his legs and shows you Trey Brown. It's like, dude, what are you doing? You're not, your, your mind is not in this game at all. Trey Brown, quit getting beat deep, quit giving up completions, quit jumping off sides, quit letting fumbles dribble between your legs. Oh, wait a minute. You just saved the entire freaking season by being aware one time. That's, man, the, can you imagine having this conversation, Brady, <laughs> last year in 2018 or the year before in 2017 when all you needed was one more tackle against Georgia or a couple more tackles early in the game? against uh against uh alabama we're having that conversation now and it's it's across the board it's at almost every position justin Broyles comes out of nowhere and has a, a solid game jalen redmond was was arguably one of the best players on the field saturday again and, and marquis overson overton has had a fantastic senior season where he's he's just so reliable every time he's on the field he's doing something positive i and parnell motley we haven't even mentioned him Played like a like a Thorpe Award winner against Oklahoma State and and was fantastic for the most part against T uh, Baylor, amazing against TCU, shutting down Jalen Rager. Um, these guys, where did this come from? And and where was it in 2017? Where was even a shred of this kind of product productivity on defense in 2018? I love you, Alex Grinch. Never leave. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 just simple, John. Like they finally have a coach that knows what he's doing, that has a good that has a good voice in the locker room, that has demanded the respect of his team, and his team is bought in, and they're all playing like that because, you know, you can say what you want about a player like Buki Radley Hiles. He has his physical deficiencies, yes. Mm -hmm. I, like I'm not silly, but his football IQ is so damn high. He diagnoses plays like two or three times a game where he blows up a play just because he doesn't necessarily make the tackle, but he blows the play up before it can develop and become dangerous that, okay, his teammates come over there and finish the job. That's all you really have to do. If you're a defense, you are a team defense. You don't always need a Rocky Kalmus or a, a Teddy Lehman to go over there and just kick ass on their own. It's nice to have a team defense to where one guy does one thing and then the other guy finishes it off. It's great. That's what OU's defense has done all year. And it also doesn't hurt that Kenneth Murray does play like a, like a Buckus, at least a Buckus finalist. So, mm -hmm. I mean, this defense is just the improvements they've made have been incredible. And, and how, how, two things, how did number one, how did uh, Alex Grinch get left off the Broyles award? Uh, because because going jumping 90 spots from 114th in the country to 24th in the country, and you don't even make it as a finalist to, to Little Rock. And then among the, the National Coach of the Year awards, there's probably like seven. I don't think Lincoln Riley is a serious candidate. Uh, I voted on one today, and I voted for Matt Rule. Um, but how does Lincoln Riley not – how is he not a finalist for all these National Coach of the Year awards? Because all he did – was fire his old boss's brother and bring in some strange dude from, from the Pacific Northwest who's a Gary Pinkle clone, and and he's re he's completely reconditioned the mindset of every defensive player in Norman, Oklahoma. Uh, and and Lincoln Riley is 12-1. Uh, and one. He brought in a transfer quarterback after losing the Heisman Trophy winner for the second year in a row. 
uh, and he's put up all these offensive numbers and, and this new quarterback has been the best passer that he's ever been in his life. He replaced four offensive linemen from the best offensive line in the country last year, three of whom are starting in the NFL. And you're not even going to consider Lincoln Riley as one of the top coaches in the country. This is easily, I've said before, Lincoln Riley is a good football coach, is an elite football coach, and he's one of the smartest people I know, I think. I, I firmly believe that just from interacting in the press conference with him. But this is easily his best coaching job in his three seasons. He took Bob Stoops' teams and you know sped him up a little bit with Baker Mayfield. And he, he got Kyler Murray kind of falling into his lap the second year. This year, he's had to work for his salary, his $6 million paycheck, and he's done it, and he's been the best that he's ever been. So, you know, Coach of the Year awards and, and postseason awards are what they are. Jalen Hurts is not going to win the Heisman. Um, Lincoln Riley's not going to win the Eddie Robinson or any of those others. But, man, these guys are doing an unbelievable job. Just the whole – I mean, the whole group is just doing an unbelievable job. They had a, they had a hiccup in Manhattan, Kansas – and they've had to fight for their lives down the stretch. But on the whole, this has been one of the best coach teams that we've had in Oklahoma for, for a long time. I cannot disagree with you, John. OU's future is super bright, not just because of the recruits that are coming in, not just because of the talent on hand. And like you've said a few times on this show, John, um, the uh, talent already on roster, a lot of young guys that are going to be here for the next few years. So the future is bright, and they've got coaches – on both sides of the football that you can depend on at least um, with at least a year of, uh, of a track record. So the future is super bright, but we do have one Twitter question, Mr. Hoover. All right. It comes from my good friend uh, at sooner DM, the legend on uh, Twitter for everybody that wants to follow him. And let's see. He says, it's obvious today, and this was on Saturday, oh, you was scored on with the downfield passes. Is that an anomaly, or is that something the next team will take advantage of? And at the time, I, I think uh, LSU was still beating the crap out of Georgia, but I guess the, the question at that time was, is LSU going to jump Ohio State? If so, that's who OU is going to play. Mm-hmm. Having seen Joe Bur- I've I've watched three LSU games start to finish this year, and Joe Burrow is everything that he's been hyped up to be. He's incredibly gifted with the football um, he makes good decisions. He can make all the throws, and he's not a statue. He can't. He does have some good legs. He can pick up a first down um, when the play breaks down, when the pocket collapses. He can. He's athletic enough. So he's kind of like a Baker Mayfield in that type, where he's not going to, you know, blow you away with blinding speed, but he can move a little bit. Um, I, I don't know. I really don't know because Parnell Motley has improved. Patrick Fields, DTY, they've improved. Uh, Jaden Davis. Has he, he kind of had a little bit of a freshman wall in the middle of the year, but overall he hasn't been burned to the clip that we've been accustomed to seeing over the last few years mm-hmm. with defensive backs. You already talked about Trey Brown. Um, hey, I'll just say this about Trey. If you put him in a situation where he has to run straight for 80 yards, yep, he will make a good play probably because he's super fast. Any other time, it is up in the air if he makes the right play or not, if he makes the instinctual football play because I haven't seen it enough on a consistent basis. But, hey, he made the play of the day. So shout out to you, Trey Brown. Um, Real I just, quick, did you see the uh, – the while you're talking about Trey Brown, did you see the uh, uh, next-gen stats Yes. On, on his chase down? Yes. He ran faster on that play than anybody in the NFL has since ne- next-gen stats – has been keeping these next-gen stats, whatever that is, five, six, seven years, faster than Tyreek Hill. Hmm. 
mean, cool. he ran 23.3 miles per hour. Tyreek Hill's fastest was like 23.23 or something like that. That is unbelievable. I mean, you talk about a guy turning on the Jets. So congrats to Trey Brown for saving the season. No, it's certainly cool, but I mean, it's a shame he can't catch. Otherwise, he could really use that <laughs> skill set as a wide receiver because it's not going to help you that much as a cornerback unless yeah. you're having to chase somebody for 80 yards in a straight line. Like, I don't want you to be in that situation in the first damn place, but if you are going to be, then Trey Brown's your guy. So, Okay, so to, to answer the question, I think – what you saw Saturday was a major league anomaly, meaning the longest pass play that Oklahoma had given up all season was 42 yards. Think about that. All season long, th- yes. 12 games, 42 yards was the longest pass play they've allowed. So you come in with a guy who uh, hasn't thrown a pass basically all season. High school, he's a, he's a high school freshman, not a high school freshman, he's a college freshman straight out of high school. Uh, hasn't been asked to do anything all year. He was running scout team safety earlier in the week. And he's backed up against his five-yard line. And Alex Grinch calls a defense that he has not called the entire time, the entire day, because he wants to really rattle this freshman. And we're going to get him. We're going to sack him in the end zone. It's going to be brilliant. And he takes a risk. And Alex Grinch came out and said, I should have never put those guys in that position. I should have just kept calling what I was calling. He said that in the postgame. So all those things together and, and somebody, one person relaxes on defense thinking, well, we're, this guy's, he's dead meat. He's got no chances. They're bringing in their third stringer, freshman, throwing off a five-yard line. Yeah, come on. Let's have some. And somebody got cocky. Somebody got overconfident. Somebody didn't read their keys. Patrick Fields took you know, a terrible, terrible angle. He did, but he, he slowed him down just enough that maybe Trey Brown, uh, allowed Trey Brown to catch him. Yep. Uh, a couple of union kids, shout out union, Redskin for life. Um, but, uh, yeah, that whole thing, I think it's an anomaly. When you see an 81-yard pass and a 78-yard pass in the same quarter by a third-string quarterback who hasn't played all year against a defense that has given up a 42-yard pass as its longest pass play of the season, totally an anomaly. Now, is LSU going to be able to do the same thing? Yes, they are. Uh, have you seen LSU's roster? Jamar Chase is probably going to win the Bolitnikoff 73 catches, 1,500 yards. He's averaging 21 yards a catch. He's got 18 touchdowns. Justin Jefferson has 88 catches, 1,207 yards, 14 touchdowns. Terrence uh, Terrace Marshall, 37 catches, 545 yards, 10 touchdowns. These guys are fantastic offensively. And then they've got a running back who's got 1,300 yards. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, he's only averaging 6.5 yards a carry, and he scored 16 times. And it's all put together by the – the Heisman Trophy winner, Joe Burrow, 4,700 yards, 48 touchdowns, six interceptions on the season. I looked this up, Brady. He's completing 78% of his passes, which would be an NCAA record by far. Mm-hmm. You know what the the lowest com- single-game completion percentage of his is all season? This will blow your mind. Is it 72? 71% oh. is the lowest completion percentage he's had for a game all season. That's I can remember – when Sam Bradford and uh, Colt McCoy were going back and forth and they were hitting like 70% per game. Yeah. And, and it and was we like, were like, wow, we've can, never can seen anything of, like this. Never seen anything like it. This was 10 years ago. And we're thinking, can these guys keep this up all season? Can they possibly complete 70% of their passes all season? The lowest Joe Burrow has had for an entire game in all 13 games this year, 71%. That is mind blowing. Yeah, um, I mean, everything you said about OU's defense this year in terms of those Baylor passes being an anomaly, I mean, that's true. 
the thing that I would, if I'm going to argue that, and I, I am really, I'm not just playing devil's, devil's advocate here, is the Big 12 is not the Big 12 that we all kind of knew and loved over the last few years. The quarterbacks have been down. Um, Sam Ellinger is not the player that people hyped him up to be in terms of being a quarterback, being mm-hmm. able to make throws. Um, let me just try and go through everybody that oh, you played quarterback-wise. Spencer Sanders didn't play, but he's not a guy that yeah. can stretch the field. Charlie Brewer is a good quarterback. He doesn't mm-hmm. strike me as a guy, at least at this point in his career, that can really stretch the field, and he still has really good receivers. So it's not like he's hurting for uh, talent on the outside. He's just not there. That's just not the type of quarterback that he is. Um, OU They've gotten a, extremely lucky this year with all the backup quarterbacks they faced. Yeah, and that happened back in 2015 with OU. Um, and then they ran into Deshaun Watson, Watson, and it was such a culture shock. But I think this defense has so much going for them in terms of momentum, in terms of confidence, in terms of we did this. We have an entire season's worth of tape to go to fall back on in terms of confidence. If they give up a bad play, it's not going to. They're not going to hang their heads down, and it's going to turn into oh, well, he's got to like basically outscore LSU now. It's not going to be the case that they give a play. They're going to give up plays, but in terms of competition, it's going to be a huge step up from Charlie Brewer and that level of quarterback to Joe Burrow. But I think, to answer your question, Mr. Sooner DM, um, I think it's going to be a little bit in the middle. I think plays will be made by LSU, but I think OU can make enough plays in terms of creating havoc um, up front in the, with their front seven that maybe they can neutralize that to a point to put the offense into a position of, well, if you score here, we can control this game. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, man, just take your, take take us back to week one, Brady, where um, Lincoln Riley was telling us both before and after the, the Houston game that Derek King was a top five cat in the country. Does that seem like 100 years ago now? Oh, yeah. Dorian Thompson Robinson, DTR at UCLA, the number one dual threat quarterback in the country coming out of high school. Yeah. He, he was a disaster. They didn't have to face Alan Bowman. Uh, they go to Jet Duffy, who it wasn't even their first choice. They tried to go to some fifth year rice transfer. Remember, I don't even remember the guy's name. Uh, the only, the, the, the only, the guy who looked like Dan Marino, uh, 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 oddly enough, awkwardly enough for the OU defense was Skylar Thompson. Who's not a he's a like a fifty eight percent passer and is a dual threat guy. Uh, he's he's been better than any quarterback the Sooners have faced all year throwing the football. Even Brock Purdy, Ugh. which is I mean, where you know if you could just make a fifty eight percent passer look like a fifty eight percent maybe a sixty five percent passer instead of a eighty percent passer on third and fifteen, uh, the the, t- the team's undefeated. And they're probably ranked. What would you say they'd be ranked right now? If they were undefeated, if they had won that K State game, probably it, still number four. It would be hard for me, um, even though Clemson plays in a much worse conference. I mean, they're still the defending champions, and they're still undefeated. I just don't mm-hmm. know because, like, someone brought up a good point. I, d- I don't know where, but if if the BCS were still a thing, Clemson would be not in, wouldn't be in the uh, national championship. But I, I don't know if I yeah. agree with that because I think the BCS would have valued, like, they would have started off the year number one. I think they, I think the BCS still would have valued that because I don't think we ever had a, a like a season where something like this happened. And I know people might say, well, "What about the '04 year with Auburn? Auburn started off that year in the top twenty-five, and they played nobody in their non-conference. Right. That's why right. they got left out. And the That's SC, right. And the SEC wasn't the SEC that it is 
has been the last few also years. Also correct. Yeah, so that's why they weren't in it. Oh, you certainly deserve But who it. would be left out, though, if this were the BCS? I mean, you, you can't leave Ohio State out. They've been the most complete and dominant team of the, of the year anywhere. And then uh, LSU has run through what the SEC currently is and has more top 25 or top 10 victories than anybody right now. So uh, I, I think it could be Clemson if we were in the BCS. I think it could be Clemson on the outside looking in. This would have been a split vote year. Like uh, that, by the way, yeah, no doubt about it, UPI and, and AP. Uh, by the way, we asked uh, Bill, Bill Hancock that question, and he said he just looked at us and said, well, thank goodness we don't have to answer that question this year, you know, <laughs> about Clemson no. or, or whoever. Um, yeah, it is – it's kind of a head-scratcher, but um, OU's in the playoff. Everybody's happy at least for the next three weeks. So everybody get ready for the peach. Bowl. I just did right before getting on the phone with you. I just did a radio show in Baton Rouge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it was, it was clean. I mean, there was none of this, uh, how, how's the big 12 going to keep up with the sec champion, John, like there was in 2008 or 2016 or 2017, 2017 or 2018. Those questions weren't coming. Uh, and I think that is part and parcel of, the fact that Oklahoma has a defense this year, ranked number 24 in the country, and and they, they do some good things defensively, and Alex Grinch has breathed new life into this thing. It's It wasn't that whole disrespect, well, all the Big 12 does is is uh, play offense and throw the football around, flag football. I think there's I think there's a little bit of healthy respect now in the SEC looking at the Big 12. Uh, well, hopefully it bears fruit in three weeks when OU takes on the Louisiana State Tigers – and hopefully there is some vengeance for the O3 Sugar Bowl. It is uh, it is frankly <laughs> awesome that OU gets to play them in not New Orleans. Yay. That's great. That'll be helpful. Um, I, I know it's Atlanta is still SEC country, but OU has gone into that city or around that city the last two years and picked out the best players in high school football out of that area. So yeah, it, can also, it, it can also be OU land as well. Um, but yeah, John, anything else before we get out of here? Man, we hit on all my notes. Yep. So, uh, Jalen Hurts, 13 turnovers, 13 games. Um, if he makes it 14, I think that uh, Oklahoma is probably not going to win the game. If he keeps it at 13, they have a chance. Jalen Hurts going to finish second in the Heisman? I believe so. Uh, if not, then Justin Fields. Although, I, I looked game by game, again, who they did it against and who they had their best games against. Fields has only recently started coming on. Fields has has had a couple of very good games against a couple of very good opponents only in November. Uh, if you look at his September and October, um, moderately decent games against really bad opponents kind of defines his first two months of his season. Whereas Jalen Hurts was going, you know, 500 yards against Texas and and stuff like that. Um, and just go down the list of every every game, and, and Jalen Hurts was setting new offensive standards at OU. So. Um, Jalen Hurts' progress has kind of slowed down while Justin Fields is, has picked up. So I think you could be in for a, a little bit of a barn burner there in the second position. I think it's a runaway. I think Joe Burrow probably challenges uh, O.J. Simpson's margin of victory, which is 1,750 points. Uh, Leroy Keyes from Purdue was a fullback, and O.J. just blew him away um, in 1968. I think Joe Burrow challenges that one. But I think the second place – Heisman Trophy this year, second place voting is going to be extremely close. Yeah, it's another year and another Sooners in New York City, which doesn't hurt. It 
it's, five and four years. That's unbelievable. Yeah, man. Just got to think about next year, I guess. Is it going to be Spencer Rattler? Who knows? We will find out, but there will be games played before that. So I'm excited. Uh, John, thank you so much for uh, jumping on. Glad to do it. That's uh, hopefully an hour and a half of uh, good uh, podcasting that the Sooner fans really enjoy. Yeah, we are going to take a um, a week or so off for obvious reasons. Uh, I mean, if news happens, if Jalen is to win the Heisman to surprise everybody, I'm sure you and I will do an emergency pod. Um, <laughs> recruiting will start amping up, of course, uh, early signing day. There, there will be some stuff to talk about, and we will, of course, preview the LSU game the week of the game. So um, John needs he needs some time off. Uh, from the grind, of course. Got to recharge. I am in the middle of basketball season, so I need some time off too. I'm I'm excited that football is over for a little bit, but I'm going to miss it once it's completely over, like I always do. But um, yeah, we will be back shortly after. But everybody, thank you so much for listening to the Inside OU podcast, a part of the Franchise Podcast Network. Thank you all so much. But we will talk to you later. Listen to Brady Trantham Saturdays from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. on 1077 The Franchise and 1079 The Franchise Tulsa. Follow him on Twitter at Brady Does Sports. Catch all of John Hoover's work at thefranchiseok.com. Follow him on Twitter at John E. Hoover. And be sure to catch all of his radio call-ins throughout the week on 1077 The Franchise and 1079 The Franchise Tulsa. Subscribe, rate, and review all the podcasts in the Franchise Podcast Network. The Sam Mays Podcast, All In, Inside OU, OKC82, and Intimate with TV's Jerry can be found in all the places you listen to your podcasts. Seriously, just subscribe. You don't even have to listen.